Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. When Israeli political and military leaders talk about the security problems they're facing, the Gaza Strip is always explosive but containable as long as Hamas prefers it, and the West Bank under the Palestinian Authority is quiet, yet amendable to violent changes. The only constant is the clear and present danger to the north because of the interference between three forces hostile to Israel, Hezbollah as the de facto ruler of Lebanon as regards Israel, Syria, which is torn in its civil conflict and has lost its independent policy-making power, but not its determination to retrieve the Golan Heights, and Iran, whose tentacles reach out to the Syrian-Israeli front. Under these circumstances, how does Israel view the complicated situation across its northern frontier? Are there only challenges for it, or also opportunities? Joining us to analyze this topic from central Israel is Colonel in Reserve Reuven Ben Shalom, who is a cross-cultural strategist and an associate at the International Institute for Counterterrorism in Herzliya. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Also joining us from another location in central Israel is Colonel in Reserve Miri Eisen, who is an Israeli public diplomacy, security, and intelligence expert at the Institute for Counterterrorism in Herzliya. Thank you for joining us as well. Thank you. And with me in the studio is our TV7 analyst, Mr. Amir Oren, who is also the host of TV7's Watchmen Talk. Thank you for joining today's panel. And let's immediately dive into today's topic. Israel's threats and opportunities to the north is the topic of uh, discussion today. What can you elaborate on? Well, the Israeli media has been given um, a chance to get to know some of the intelligence assessment for this year and a sort of a recap of last year. And this happened uh, earlier this week. And what we can uh, say about it is that Israel is both enjoying and is concerned by the paradox of success. It has been very successful in its operations in Syria against uh, the Iranian forces there, against their proxies and militias, and uh, people who are uh, connected uh, with Hezbollah. But uh, by the same token, Israel understands that this very success is pushing those uh, uh, subjects of its operations to finally hit back at it. Uh, No one uh, presumes to know exactly when and where it will happen, but they understand that uh, the very success of pushing, for instance, the Iranians eastward in Syria, not totally out of Syria, as uh, has been incorrectly reported, but away from the Golan Heights uh, boundary and uh, further away into Syria, and by the fact that Israel enjoys virtual immunity when its air force uh, hits targets in Syria, this will eventually cause the Iranians and their allies to uh, break the ceasefire. And uh, the Israeli Defense Forces are preparing for what they call battle days, uh, which means a one-day engagement. Uh, Perhaps it will carry over to the next day, but not an operation, not a campaign, uh, uh, definitely not a war, but they understand that uh, it could happen anytime. 
talking about the possibilities of miscalculation and uh, uh, fields of operation. Nevertheless, in order to discuss this... By the way, the, the problem here is that you cannot get early warning because the uh, warning is uh, embedded in your operation. Sometimes they will hit back at you. Of course, they may plan um, some revenge regarding yeah. something which happened six months ago. But if they are going to retaliate for something you will do next week, you cannot give your decision makers early, early warning except to tell them, listen, this may bring about retaliation. And what is better than to communicate about this topic with a colonel from the intelligence branch and another colonel from the Air Force branch? Uh, and, uh, of course, to highlight uh, remarks made uh, earlier this year by uh, the IDF Chief of General Staff, Lieutenant General Aviv Kochavi, who emphasized uh, very clearly that the enemies of Israel are reacting. They're more of a reactionary, uh, reactionary um, uh, force to Israeli activities, which is a lot more proactive uh, in engaging the enemy and thwarting its uh, entrenchment along Israel's northern front. Colonel Eisen, could you provide us a little bit of an understanding to what degree is the Israeli defense establishment alarmed at what is uh, being identified on its northern front? The IDF really for the last 10 years has been viewing Hezbollah and the triangle you spoke of, Hezbollah, Syrian war, and Iran as the main challenge, the main enemy, the main arena where we feel that we really are challenged and thus we need to really be active. We think that one of the most amazing aspects of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces' actions over the last decade during the war that took place in Syria as it spilled over throughout the Middle East, is that we were active, preemptive, and not reactive. We have a tendency within the IDF to respond. Hamas fire, we respond. There is a terror attack we respond. And then we talk about cycles. When it comes to Hezbollah, to Iranian and Shiite presence inside Syria in the last decade, the IDF is the one that is defining the tone. As Amir said, there's the challenge of how much do you control it, meaning you attack, you attack, you attack, and then they respond. You attack, you attack, you attack, they respond. You need to respond to what they responded. But overwhelmingly, they are, they, Hezbollah, the Iranians, the Shiites inside Syria, are the main adversary, the main enemy, and the IDF is building its capabilities to try to preempt and to stop them from being on our northern border. Colonel Ben Shalom is a, a veteran and reserve uh, of the uh, Israeli Air Force, uh, to what degree are those uh, uh, alleged Israeli strikes, some are veiled, some are not, uh, in Syria, effective in uh, thwarting Iranian aspirations to entrench militarily on, along Israel's northern front? And uh, does this really uh, demand more of a ground force operation in tandem in order to provide more of a hermetic cleanse? Uh, to certain areas which are more difficult to to reach? You know, it's interesting, the, the big change that Colonel Eisen was speaking about, this proactive uh, uh, action throughout the Middle East, 
is, is a big change in the last decade, unprecedented, by the way, throughout my career. I was all over the Middle East, but never at this operational tempo, never in, in, in the amounts that we're doing now. Uh, and as far as the ground component, let's keep that out of it for now, because remember, we're discussing the campaign, what we call the campaign between the wars, which is more an aerial campaign to negate capabilities and actually make sure that the next all-out war doesn't see many of these capabilities on the battlefield. In the all-out war that will come, we already know and we hear our leaders speaking of the need to operate also on the ground. It's almost clear to us now that whatever happens, they are going to try to exercise this or implement this, this new understanding that we have to have that footprint on the ground, what we call the maneuver. Okay, but as we speak now, it's mostly aerial intelligence and also uh, different commando or special forces operation. Another another amazing change we've seen now is that we can talk about it. You know, Miri and I grew up in a time where we couldn't discuss these issues. Now we just watch on the news. We see General Kojavi say something. So if he says it, I can say it. For instance, if he says that our enemies are observing very closely at how the Israeli intelligence has penetrated their systems and they feel vulnerable at the amount of, of, uh, of how much we penetrated them, Finally, I can say that. Yes, I think this is a strong asset of Israel, one of the biggest assets we have besides dropping bombs. The only question left is, what is the effect this is having? We are very proud of ourselves. We enjoy this freedom of action where we hit them time and time again and they don't strike back. But what is the effect on the next war, on the real battlefield? That is hard to tell. My natural tendency is to think that every ability that you strike every capability that you take out, every convoy of precision guided munitions that you attack now, those are munitions that are not gonna be fired at us in the next war. Is it 1%, 10%, 50% of the capabilities? Will this really change the battlefield in the next war that dramatically? Hard to tell. I personally feel it's an important campaign, even on the perceptional level at what we're doing, and I believe it is going to change the battlefield itself very different from past campaigns where we just wait for the next round, they would pound us and we would strike back. Indeed, Mr. Oman. Uh, Colonel Eisen uh, was uh, the first woman, the first female officer to be in charge of tactical intelligence uh, for the IDF. And this was part of a change because uh, the military leaders of Israel have uh, traditionally, historically, been inclined to deal with strategic intelligence to uh, try and decipher the intentions of uh, an Arab ruler. Will he or won't he? And uh, it didn't always trickle down to the troops on the line, whatever they needed. It turned out later that in the vaults of uh, the uh, intelligence headquarters, uh, the stuff was there, but uh, it wasn't distributed uh, to the field. And uh, this has been uh, an enormous change over the last several years, one of the drivers of this change was General Kohavi when he was director of military intelligence. And there is uh, a so-called target factory uh, at intelligence uh, headquarters, which is dedicated to studying the targets for the next war, not for tomorrow, but what the Air Force and other branches uh, will hit 
once war starts. Indeed, and we're seeing right now also another aspect of preparation is a month-long war games of uh, the general staff, which will try and, and identify the various challenges uh, presented uh, within a, a future operation. What can you tell us about that? Well, this is uh, in order, of course, to keep the uh, military on its toes. And one um, uh, evident uh, part of it was uh, an exercise held earlier this week um, on the Lebanese border, um, nicknamed Lightning uh, Storm. Um, and um, it was um, intended to give a realistic depiction of what might happen so that the headquarters, commanders, and some of the uh, uh, junior officers and, and troops, along with uh, civilian leaders of the settlements along the border, will get a feel of uh, how it might uh, unfold. Colonel Eisen, how do you view this? Uh, is Israel preparing enough for the possibility of a conflagration uh, derived from possibly a miscalculation or uh, substantiated intentions by uh, the arch enemy of Israel in the Islamic Republic? I think that the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, are doing lots of activities, education, um, operations to be able to be more prepared, and I hope it will be for the next war and not the war that was. My challenge for all of us is that the Israeli public is not being prepared in the sense of an escalation taking place, of the IDF doing the correct actions, of having lots of targets. What General Kohavi said a week or two ago was, is that thousands of rockets will rain down at the home front. And he said that, and I'm repeating it, because I think that in that sense, we can be prepared for it militarily, but if the home front, if the people at home are not prepared for what is going to happen, then as the state of Israel, we are not doing enough preparation. There's a very delicate balance between preparing a population for the potential threat and between scaring your population about that threat. I don't think that we have yet struck the correct balance. I think that most Israelis right now see it as a very quiet front and are not aware of that rain of missiles that's not going to hit up north. It's going to hit in Tel Aviv. It's going to hit in the Sharon. It's going to hit all the way to Beersheba, coming from Hezbollah, coming from those different forces. And I don't think we're prepared on that front. Indeed, Colonel uh, Ben Shalom, you spoke earlier about uh, the importance, of course, of uh, hitting this convoy, as you said, it, of uh, precision-guided missiles. The difference, for our viewers' sake, of precision-guided missiles to statistical missiles is from uh, a range of uh, indiscriminate rocket fire in its uh, general direction of 1,000 square meters to uh, a potential capacity uh, to target uh, within uh, uh, just a few meters, uh, up to 10 meters uh, uh, in radius. Uh, this, of course, creates a, a different battlefield. Of course, uh, when we're talking about Hezbollah and, and the various organizations that will attack Israel, they will still use the statistical missiles in order to uh, discourage the home front, which is clearly unprepared, as uh, Colonel Eisen mentioned. But at the same time, we're also talking about uh, the, the sophisticated precision-guided missiles, which will now be able to 
possibly overwhelm Israel's aerial defense array in order to uh, try and target strategic targets, uh, tactical targets, which then may, will make uh, it a lot harder for Israel to, to uh, continue with the operation for a long period of time. Very tricky issue because as Israelis, I think we grow up also military personnel. We grow up in this uh, mindset that we have to, you know, radiate uh, the fact that we're we're ready, we're prepared, we're going to show them. Also, when you listen to General Kochavi, you hear a lot of this. Uh, recently, it's been boosted up to you know we are going to win a decisive victory, uh, no less. Remember that there is no such thing as victory in, pre in recent uh, campaigns, but now it's like a change. No, this time we're going to show them, and we have this bank of targets. We're going to strike them all over. We're going to overwhelm them with our amazing capacity. And yes, he talked about thousands of rockets, but I don't think it sinks in how devastating, how difficult the next campaign will be. Another thing the Israeli public doesn't understand enough is that we keep talking about these terrorists. You know, the Hezbollah is a terrorist organization. No, it's not. It's a terror army, and the IDF uses this terminology. Now, a terror army that has cyber capabilities and they deal with perception as we do. By the way, they do a better job than us because, you know, they have no problem, no moral uh, boundaries so they can do whatever they want. Right. That's the, the, the easy part of terrorists. And they will try to overwhelm us even with drones. You know, we're always so proud of our drone industry. They have drones. They're going to shoot Iranian drones at us. Our typical Israeli mindset is such that if they shoot 10 or they launch 10 drones and two get in, we're going to be devastated. How did they penetrate us? Well, they will. Of course they will. It's a, it's a, it's a battle zone. It's difficult. Some of them are going to get in. Some of them are going to hit. Besides thousands of rockets that are going to be sporadically hitting you know, the northern area, we're going to have uh, precision strikes that are going to hit uh, national facilities, maybe hit our headquarters in Tel Aviv. We have to think what an overall war looks like, and we have to be prepared for it. Unfortunately, Israelis are not really fully educated. I'm sorry to use it this way, but look it up, look it up in, in Hebrew and Wikipedia. What does national security mean? There you see kinetic strikes, army, you know, defending. Nonsense. Uh, what it really means is all the branches of power that create, you know, our resilience, our strength. The most important are national resilience of our society. We've always showed amazing resilience and we can come together and we're strong. And of course, we all know we're going to, uh, we're going to win the next war. We know that, even though the other side are going to say they won. We know we're going to be strong and overcome. We just have to be prepared to how devastating, how difficult it is going to be. And how do we prepare ourselves for the war itself and for rehabilitation after that? Not even talking about the other side. We, we talk a lot about the other side warning and trying to even overwhelm and scare the other side of how devastating it's going to be for them. We have to do a lot of preparing inside, internally, especially as far as our mindset, our preparedness. And the question is, however, who is responsible for this preparedness, considering the fact that Jerusalem is so divided currently on the political level and not really prepared to uh, organize itself in order to uh, uh, get the, the Israeli public uh, prepared for such a wide-scale operation. And at the same time, we're seeing that the military is also demanding more and more funds in order to uh, prepare itself for that kinetic strike, as, as you will. Well, th these are two uh, different issues. Uh, what the military uh, has asked for uh, was a final decision on the MOU, the Memorandum of Understanding, uh, which President Obama uh, signed uh, way back and uh, which um, has to do with the years 2019 to 2028. Uh, almost $4 billion dollars 
um, waiting for Israel to uh, give its uh, shopping list. Um, it can get uh, almost um, everything it wants up to that sum uh, as long as it decides uh, its priorities. And finally, it is coming to pass. And But it's important to note also that all of those $4 billion dollars are then invested in American uh, arms uh, companies and, and various uh, organizations well, in the United States zero-sum uh, when it comes to Israeli well, development? gradually it will uh, go down to zero because uh, originally it was one quarter in offshore uh, procurement. But uh, yes, well, Israel does not get hard dollars. It gets vouchers. You take a voucher, you go to Lockheed Martin, you go to Boeing, you go to Raytheon or any other Uh, U.S. Uh, defense uh, corporation, you give them the voucher signed by the president or by the uh, treasury secretary, and you tell them, okay, here's a voucher for $1 billion, dollars. give me 10 planes or so. But let me underline what uh, the uh, two very experienced colonels uh, on our panel uh, just said. You can um, diversify by putting one soldier, one guard, one sentry, every 100 meters along the fence. Obviously, this is not a very good tactic. What General Kohavi uh, has suggested is a concentration of forces, mass, a main line of effort. And the equation that he is putting forward for the Israeli public is protection for patients. We will protect you. But you should know, much like with COVID-19, it may be 95% effective, but 5% of rockets or viruses will still penetrate and people will get hurt. So let us protect our own assets for you, the Air Force bases and other facilities, because this is how we will win the war in three, four days a week and During this time, please be patient. Don't put political pressure on the government to cut short our operation or to uh, take these assets, Iron Dome, for instance, out of the air bases and into the cities. It is going to be difficult, but if it is short-term, then everyone will be um, so much uh, happier at the end. Which comes, of course, at the expense of uh, civilian targets, which uh, then civilians will, uh, just in layman's terms, have to spend okay. more time in bomb uh, shelters. They will have to, to behave properly, to protect themselves, to adhere to what the uh, uh, Home Front Command tells them to do. There shouldn't be. Uh, too many casualties, but they shouldn't be complacent because of past successes of these defensive systems. Indeed, we're drawing near to the end of the program, so I'd like to give each and every one of you the opportunity to have a, a closing analysis. Uh, where are we heading from here, Colonel Eisen? We'll start with you. I think that we are in, it's going to happen. And when it happens, I think that the media, that the IDF will be more prepared than the citizens of Israel. I hope that the resilience that we've shown in the past will show up for this next confrontation. All right, and we have about four minutes left. Colonel uh, Ben Shalom, we'll, we'll circle back to you, Colonel Eisen. Colonel Ben Shalom. Well, certainly I agree with Colonel Eisen that we're going to war. Will it be next week or in five years? I don't know. I think it's clear that the players now have no interest to go to war, but mostly these wars break out because of a miscalculation. 
I also unfortunately think it unfortunately don't think it's going to be a battle day like Amir said more uh, probably a miscalculation that leads to war because I think when it does erupt Israel will launch everything that Israel has been saying it's going to launch and then unfortunately it's going to be the first northern arena war uh, on the positive side we, we've been pretty depressing today you know talking about our resilience and sustaining you know all these impacting missiles and everything remember that the IDF in the last decade has built an incredible arm uh, that uh, not only these, these kinetic strikes, but amazing cyber capabilities, intelligence capabilities that the chief general staff has been talking about. No question the next war will be devastating and overwhelming for the enemies. Let us all remember as uh, neighbors in the Middle East that the tragic part of everything we're discussing now is that we're not fighting over any land. We have no interests in the region. This war we're talking about now is going to be so ridiculous, devastating and sad and ridiculous because it's not fighting anything but uh, opposing the interests of Iran and the region, trying to curtail their, their aspirations in the region. That's all it is. Of course, we have nothing with the Lebanese. Even as we speak, we're trying to work out border issues for them to exploit the natural gas in the sea, which would be amazing for them. Uh, we want to see prosperous neighbors. So isn't it sad we're discussing about these, this war with our neighbor that we actually have nothing with? But again, when it happens, the outcome is pretty clear to us, and we know where the IDF stands now and where we're going forward. Indeed. Colonel uh, Eisen, I'd like to ask you also specifically, considering the fact that there is talk about the possibility that the United States would return into compliance with the 2015 nuclear agreement, uh, which would, uh, of course, bring uh, Iran into uh, the loop. Uh, the United States, of course, said that it won't lift sanctions unless Iran enters first and the Iranians uh, demand uh, the other uh, to do the same. But uh, the last time... Uh, Post the 2015 nuclear agreement, uh, Muhammad Javad Zarif immediately went on an entire tour uh, throughout the Middle East and uh, started uh, establishing contracts with different countries, with different organizations. This flooded the various organizations, including Hezbollah, with significant amounts of money. Uh, this, of course, would translate into the possibility of uh, uh, new challenges. Uh, how do you see this in 30 seconds? I think that the Abraham Accords have changed the Middle East in that sense. We now have an alliance in the Middle East that did not exist in the last decades. We have an alliance with Gulf countries. This is also part of that new northern war. It isn't about their fighting, but it is about the fact that they will be standing and helping in its own way, quietly or openly, any type of aggression from Iran via Syria, via Hezbollah. Indeed. Mr. Oren? It is always important to remember that uh, when we are talking about the red side of uh, the map, uh, the uh, adversaries, uh, the blue side, our own, has a lot of influence. It can decide whether to have an input into the process or just uh, sit idly by and wait for others to take the initiative. Hopefully, Israel will also initiate some uh, diplomatic uh, moves which will change the situation. Which, uh, of course, various factors will need to uh, come along and, and uh, play their own role in, in the situation. But this is all the time that we have for today, and hopefully we won't have to discuss war in the next programs, but unfortunately this is reality. Uh, Colonel Eisen, Colonel Ben Shalom, thank you so very much for joining us for today's panel. Okay. Thank you also, Amir, for thank being you. part of today's panel, and I'd like to thank of yours as well. And we will see you next time.
Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.